Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. This is our concepts edition for the week. I'm Devin Bedoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And today we're going to be talking about uh, work in progress, how to manage that, um, some other experiments, failures. Uh, it seems like the big theme for today is... Uh, Continuous kinda... improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's see. Oh, you changed all your things. Kind of like just workflow management. I don't know. What would you say your theme is? It seems like running out of I mean, imbalance and running out of work at certain stations or not keeping up at certain stations is maybe a, key, a theme for both of us today. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. With a couple other things interspersed. Yeah. Um, a good quote quote for the episode here material will be flowing while changing shape all at the speed we can sell the product all else is waste from Mitsuru Kawai um I just he a Toyota person yes yeah uh one of their famous uh manager I plant managers or yeah he worked his way from the bottom all the way to the top which at Toyota is not impressive because that's what they try to do. I right. mean, it still is not very many people because not many people there's fewer the top. Yeah. at the top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I think one of the themes for me this past week has been kind of trying to look at things through different lenses to start to see things that you don't normally see. And I think this, what I really like about this quote is that it's correct but that it's it's so extreme but also so simple Mm -hmm. like i know we've talked in the past about like reading about the toyota production system there's this feeling of like not being able to put your finger on exactly what is like if you boiled it all down what are the things and it's sort of like a lot of stuff (laughs) i mean i think at this point i do have a pretty good handle on the basics but just having like a, a a true north star like this is it right and and there might be good reasons currently that batching work makes sense and that all this other stuff makes sense right but you should understand that everything that isn't this is waste and you are you're amortizing your waste instead of solving you know eliminating the waste Mm -hmm. and that's typical Right. Everything is in service to that goal, the goal expressed in that quote. Yeah. And I think when you lose that, when you lose sight of that, you start to solve local problems kind of, Mm -hmm. and you start to optimize local problems. And even if they're not completely local to one station, I mean, even like in in your example, I think it's a perfect example because Mm -hmm. it's not going to like you don't have the power to change it the way you run your shop is fundamentally wasteful, but it's also because your customers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how they order stuff. Right. Right. If everyone could change that, everyone would be more efficient after a lot of trial and error, but it's not how people do it. So Mm -hmm. if you made that change, it would probably be very problematic. (laughs) If I did internally. Yeah. Without having, yeah. Flow through the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think about <clears throat> from a relationship standpoint, what would be required for that to happen? Because in job shop, contract manufacturing scenarios, the, like the, we talked about the relationships taking a long time to, to cultivate simultaneously. They're still fairly tenuous sometimes, right, right. you know, and it's like we, we have sort of an understanding, but there's no commitments. And it's kind of, it's kind of like... The understanding uh, being like... That I'll produce good parts. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, that... sending me work. They'll keep sending me work when it, when yeah. it makes sense. It's kind of like a manufacturer with benefits or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean... There's no, there's no commitment involved. Right, right, right. Um, and I think in order for the, the types of of uh production to happen that is expressed in that in that quote you have to have a very like explicit and well understood relationship yeah and if you read about how toyota deals with their 
suppliers. Yeah. It is. It is extremely, that. extremely uh, well-defined. Yeah. To the point of like cost reduction per month or per year and how the benefits of that cost reduction get split between Toyota mm-hmm. and their supplier and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you have to dedicate a lot of work to putting the systems in place to efficiently produce yeah. and, on, a, on that kind of on a just-in-time basis. And, and yet, I think even so like sitting across the table from you over the past whatever doing this podcast like Mm -hmm. there is also a lot of room to move toward that internally of how machines are programmed how stock is cut how material is ordered right yeah and it's just interesting it's i i think in our shop like it's just very easy to lose sight of that and to start looking at a thing looking at a problem and just seeing that a larger batch size would be easier would be more efficient mm-hmm. it's, it's very odd it's like our natural it feels like the natural tendency is the opposite in fact last week um we talked about sewing a, a bit yeah and how like labor um how like the cost of labor is a constraint in the world of like where sewing ends up happening and you know you had kind of asked why um like why this hadn't why no one had built a sewing machine fixturing Mm -hmm. so you could sort of do like a pallet change yeah sewing machine and it just occurred to me i I re-listened to that episode um and it occurred to me like the insights toyota had were very remarkable uh and took a couple hundred years before they had them Mm -hmm. of producing the other way of oh right of like mass manufacturing and growing your batch sizes and speeding up machines and right all that stuff so i do think there's probably a lot of stuff that's still out there that is unexamined yeah and i think that's part of it and there was like what was i was reading that um essay at the end of the goal by by gold rock oh yeah i thought it was pretty awesome yeah i still haven't finished it actually but um you know, there was that reference to like the first 20 years of like TPS sort of being implemented in the world, like outside of Toyota or in in Toyota Toyota and how the people like internally, it was referred to as what was it? It was like the awful Ono system or something (laughs) like that. Yeah. Cause it was, you know, painful and I think inefficient for a while. And he was just like steadfast in this like ideology and this goal and like push through and in ways that I think most companies just would not. Yeah. And in fact, like he has, I'm pretty sure it's in the Toyota production system written by Ono that he thanks his superiors for having the, I forget what words he used, like the courage to not fire him or something like uh-huh. that. Cause a lot of people complain to them about him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of funny. It's like an uphill. I mean, whenever you explain this to people or, in reading the books, I think what got me so intrigued so quickly was that it just felt like everything I was reading was telling me that everything I was doing was wrong. <laughs> I was like, how is that possible? Right? Like right. bigger batches. Uh, I mean, basically bigger batches, but like, how could it be more efficient to do single piece flow? Like mm-hmm. that just seemed inconceivable. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's hard to explain to people, um, and hard to put into place. That was another thing in that essay too, was he, he was sort of saying like, you know, TPS specifically is like designed around Toyota's production, understandably. And he was like, and I think this is expressed in many ways in different places, but he was like, don't, don't try and do it all. A lot of, some of the things might not apply. Right. Like find the stuff that really applies to your system and apply it. Don't, which we've talked about before, like don't cookie cutter. Don't try and take every aspect of what they're doing and apply it in your system. Yeah. Um, Because some of it's probably not applicable. Yeah. And I think, I mean, particular, particularly Goldrat, like his, he's very different in saying that spending any effort on improvement off of your, that's not on your bottle, bottleneck is... Yeah not worth the time of day mm-hmm. essentially i think he, i would guess that that's sort of a shorter term uh look at things mm-hmm. than 
Right. Like I'm sure after you deal with your bigger bottlenecks and stuff, he wouldn't say, well, now stop improving. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just that when people do introduce lean, they really struggle because it's kind of aimless and you're not going to see direct um, impact on your like PNL or anything like that mm -hmm. because you haven't touched your bottleneck. And so all yeah. your issues fundamentally are remaining <laughs> yeah. until you go touch your bottleneck. Um, yeah. So on that like topic of it being, being easy to go the wrong way. So we ran out of uh, orange cams again. Mm -hmm. How often does that happen? Uh, a few months ago, it would happen probably every week or two. Okay. Now it hasn't happened for three months. Mm -hmm. And then it just happened again. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first fix was re was adding more Kanban, right? So yeah. So we, we had one trigger for 32. Not yeah. And now we have two triggers for 16 mm -hmm. and we ran out mm -hmm. and the team kind of looked at that and said, okay, pretty sure we should have two Kanbans of 32 in there. Mm basically doubling our inventory right mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because i think that i mean that probably will solve the problem but actually what's happening is that everything we painted that is in inventory ahead of those orange cams was poorly allocated labor mm -hmm. and poorly allocated bandwidth in the paint department at your current scale well, yeah, at the rate, I mean, to go back to that quote, yeah. at the rate things are selling, we overproduced those yeah. other colors and that displaced our ability to produce orange. And so actually another solution, which is moving in the right direction instead of the wrong direction, is cutting the other Kanbans in half right. so that they take up less capacity when they're triggered and are closer to being in line with the pace of right. sales. And... The funny thing is, I'm pretty sure our temporary fix is going to be to double the quantity of con of the Kanbans for orange, uh -huh. because right now I am the one doing paint still, yeah, and it is a lot more efficient still, which is us amortizing our waste, yeah, instead of solving it. And I hope to solve it, but I haven't yet. Mm -hmm. And so, given that cash flow on that inventory is not an issue and just given like sort of the realities of where we're at right now mm -hmm. i think we're going to increase our inventory on that item yeah but it's very interesting to just think about the fact that it is due to overproduction that we have this problem to begin with it right. is because we're making too much of the other things yeah i think i i do think it's important to not that like to bring in the scale thing because um in theory, you should reduce everything to a quantity of one, right? Right. Production quantity of one. However, like if you had more flow and more labor, your current quantities would probably be appropriate. Yeah. Right. So you've sized your, your batches to a, a scale that's maybe too large for your current flow, but may not be inappropriate for your flow six months down the, low, the line. Possibly. I mean, it's still wasteful. And so like the goal is, and this is like legitimately our internal goal is well, to guess, move to a point where orders actually trigger machining. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it's not fundamentally wasteful because if those things, if those, if those quantities matched your daily demand more closely. Sort of. Yeah. If it was truly just in time, you would still want to have two orange cams come out of the oven followed by True. one green body, one black body, one, you know, no. Yeah. I understand. Right, like the flow in. Right. I understand yeah. the, like the theory. Yeah. But in terms of like practical application, no, I think even practically, like we've talked about it, the batch delay of paint. If you were literally assembling parts as they came out of the end of a tube oven, mm -hmm. you would need to put them into the tube oven in the order yeah. that you're going to assemble orders. Right. Which is probably a long way off. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, I thought, and worth sharing because we are moving in the wrong direction. Uh -huh. It is not 
uh, a pro like again not applying that cookie cutter solution right it would mess us up in other ways it is not like the cash we have tied up in that inventory yes there's a risk of a defect that doesn't get tested like there's all the all the bad things mm-hmm. but like at the moment we are making the decision to increase the inventory on that station right. and to be clear it's from 32 to 64 right yeah pieces of tiny tiny little pieces of aluminum <laughs> like it's not major but um i think it's good to be just kind of pointing out that you have to like you can't be like we've talked about so focused on the theory to the exclusion of actually running the business on the day-to-day yeah and in, especially in like a small right. strapped like labor strapped yeah scenario where you're yeah. like okay, wait that is what we should do right now we still have to sell stuff every day we're going to do this to, yeah to and right now we're working on some like really good improvement projects and it's like do mm-hmm. we want to pull ourselves off of that and do more paint changeovers right no yeah <laughs> like we know we don't have a good paint system we want to automate it yeah we're working on that we're not going to pull labor off of that to right which kind of points towards more like gold rat theory of constraints yeah methodology which is kind of like don't fix that problem if it's not actually what's slowing you down yeah totally yeah interesting um we both have whip boards on here yeah so you mentioned some big improvement projects um i think this last week i realized that i kind of like put too many things in play ah uh yeah and it's it's been paralyzing <laughs> a little to bit the, like to the team or no to myself. Oh yeah. Um, and mostly kind of these larger scale things. So mm-hmm. it's like I have this, uh, paperless parts integration happening, which is, right. was kind of nothing for a minute. It was just like, give them some data, okay. let them start building out this thing. And now it's like twice weekly meetings and like homework with them, with them. Um, that must be kind of fascinating. It's pretty fun. I mean, it is fun. Like yeah. if I, didn't have to also run the business. Like, oh, <laughs> right. Let's just do this. This <laughs> yeah. is really cool. Um, as well as like post-processor edits that need to be tested and, and stuff. And then also building out this new Airtable base. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot of like big. They're kind of, they're kind of big projects. things and they're not. Yeah. It's like the thing is they all kind of need to move forward. Right, right now, yeah, <laughs> like yesterday, yesterday, yeah. Uh, but it's been really challenging. So I think there's not a lot I can do about it with this, right? With this round of of tasks because they're all in process. And I mm-hmm. think, well, I mean, I guess the reality is is some of them are just stalling, and so like the whipboard organizes itself, sort of. But it's a bummer, right? Because it doesn't feel good, and sometimes other people are left hanging, and it's this big stress on. In internally that you've left this, you know, dangling task. Um, right. I mean, I, I thought it, you put it well, I don't remember when, but on this podcast of like organizing by sort of stress or external mm-hmm. factors. And I think, yeah, realizing, right. You like, you're saying like you're dropping a few things and that doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's sort of just like the reality hitting your plans <laughs> or mm-hmm. something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of it being like, we know this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can Which it plan kinda, for this. It sort of is like sort of applying, um, you know, a little bit of like overproduction mentality to your own kind of internal tasks. It's like instead of trying to make too many things yeah. and then hitting a constraint, like suppress your, yeah. your, try, your attempt to do too many things so that they can move smoothly without yeah. hitting the constraint. I always think about like, yeah, single piece flow for the things you're working on because similar to those orange cams, like if you look at the shelf in the inventory example of buckle parts that are not, are not orange cams, they represent like man hours, materials, money that was poorly allocated. Similarly, I always think about like half done projects. You've invested all the time, but getting none of the benefits mm-hmm. out. And if you solely focus on the one th- on one thing at a time, the number of like days that your labor is tied up in a project, yeah, that isn't benefiting the company goes way down. Yeah. 
right? Like if you have one project instead of three, you are tripling the speed at which you'll start getting benefit from hours. Yeah. That said, it's so hard. So one of the things I read that made me put this on here um, in designing the future, they were talking about how organizations release, like are constantly adding projects Mm -hmm. to their, you know, team basically Mm -hmm. it's like oh let's work on this initiative oh this is interesting let's do this yeah without things leaving the system at the same pace Mm -hmm. and so no one's tracking completion they're just like adding things yeah to the top and if you think about it that inherently means that some things get time into them and then just sit and never get completed because for whatever reason i mean some of them are good reasons right Mm -hmm. like oh we learned it wasn't actually as good as we initially thought Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is and but but it's not explicit and so you can't actually learn yeah in a funny way and so i was sort of brought me back to the whipboard of like that's such a good point and i feel like i do that with my life too and it adds a lot of stress Mm -hmm. because i don't think like as a semi-responsible person, I don't think I typically just like totally forget about things I said I'd do, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's sort of hanging over your head for like a couple of weeks and finally you're like, okay, realistically, it's just not going to happen and yeah. I don't think it needs to happen anymore. And, yeah. But it's not this explicit, like it's taking up a slot on my whipboard <laughs> and I think it's not a good project and here's the reasons yeah. and I'm going to make a decision to physically get it off of this board (laughs) yeah yeah i kind of the last decade for me has been like trying to reduce the number of focuses in my life yeah because i was one of those people where i'm like i'm heavily training in martial arts and i'm doing backcountry skiing every weekend and i'm a mountain biker and i'm dabbling in rock climbing and fly fishing and like at some point i was like okay i'm running a business i think all of those except for one have to go Interesting. And I was very unsuccessful at it. And uh-huh. then we had a kid and I was like, okay, now. <laughs> and then I was successful at it. That's funny. Now it's like, there's one thing pretty much and then work and family. And, uh, that's working out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a cool idea for the whipboard. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not just for our application really. It's whipboards are not complicated, mm-hmm. but we've been running into the same thing where, we have a whiteboard where we have our morning meeting and we've been putting up stuff to like, you know, things to order, things to do. And some of the things we've been trying not to cross off until we've at least come to like a temporary solution. Okay. Um, but I was kind of thinking we have these, which everybody should go buy them. They're really cheap and useful. Oh, they're these one by three magnetic colored dry erase. Oh yeah. Or yeah. Dry erase magnets. Yep. And they're colored. And I was thinking we can just start, throwing them on there and then have a slot for each of our names. Mm, and then we I can like just that. like pull things off as it makes sense. Um, so it's very funny. We use Trello a lot yeah. for all sorts of things. Like uh, right now it's sort of our CRM. And mm-hmm. so I started using it as a whip board and as an improvements board. Yeah. Be- because before we had this whiteboard and it was getting too crowded. Uh digital is no good (laughs) i have to say there's like a hard constraint of like we're out of magnets or we're out of space that's like okay why don't we go through and purge like why don't we cross off the ones we've done cross off the ones that are no longer relevant yeah reorganize read them all think about them (laughs) yeah same i have a fantastic to-do list in Airtable, and it's yeah it's not it's i still reference it um it's an easy mostly what i use it for is like I'm about to go to bed and I remember something that I forgot and I can like plug something in there to check the next day. And you know, it will be, I know it will be there. Captured and, yeah. yeah. Um, and like I have this, you know, it's very cool. The kind of like sorting and stuff you can do in your table. So mm-hmm. all these different categories, you can you know, right. set priorities and person and all that. And I found that like pretty much like a flat list <laughs> is what works. Yeah. And then most of it is just sit, sits there and it's kind of like, well, it's cool that it's recorded, I guess, but if it's actually important, you'll probably remember again. Right. And like that there is not necessarily a good way of doing it either, but I think it yeah. is a filter. 
yeah that needs to be applied well i mean i guess thinking about like going to a physical board yeah it's like there's this stress of being like well i need to put it somewhere i might forget right and it's you know it's kind of like well if it's a real issue yeah once the stuff on this physical board is cleared off you're probably going to remember again because it's going to remind you because it's a real issue yeah and in terms of having inventory it's also interesting to see a whiteboard fill up because that means either you're not making improvements at the pace you're flagging them and so like Mm -hmm. let's think about what that means Mm -hmm. or (laughs) let's take a day to do just all the built up improvements once a month yeah and it's like because a lot of them are tiny little things Mm -hmm. um Wait, so the idea for the whipboard is using those colored magnets. Using for those your... colored magnets so you can <clears throat> easily assign them to a person. So like just that. having like a column with each of our names where we can pull from the general uh, general tasks. And it's like, I'm working on this. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because right now it's a little bit like put a letter next to the thing maybe. Mm. or But it's also, it's just hard to look at and be like, what do I need to do? And I think... There's something about seeing the stuff in sequence and the one thing that you need to look at that is really, I like really that. helpful. I think I might get rid of our Trello <laughs> board for this and uh-huh. move it all onto back onto the whiteboard. Yeah. I mean, there is like the physical space constraints are real. Totally. Um, but also the constraints are real. Like right on our time yeah exactly. as well so it's kind of like i think we have this idea that if we remove that physical constraint all the constraints will go away but it's not solving the problem it, they're just yeah, you're just hiding the inventory to, yeah it's like buying a warehouse right. a really fancy warehouse <laughs> it's portable i can take it to bed with me <laughs> yeah 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 um speaking of improvement projects mm-hmm. so i have been well, there's a bunch of things, but, and I spoke about this a while ago, this frustration of having all these things in cam that I then have to like interpret and type out for setups. Yep. Um, and I've been finding that to be more and more of a hangup where like the programming is done and then I had to jump onto something else. Oh, interesting. And I just didn't have the time to go and like type out this thing. Um, and so I haven't done a lot of research yet, but some quick Googling um, indicates that Fusion 360 has a pretty robust f- setup sheet capability. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've seen people complaining about it. Oh, really? About it not working? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking about part drawings. Mm. Anyway. I, I've definitely heard people complain yeah, about that. Yeah, maybe it's that. Never mind. Um, anyhow, I think it's something I need to explore if we're going to continue on this path. Um, this path being what? This path of like, of, of handoffs. And you say that because if, because, uh, well, there's an alternate path of, of hiring somebody who is capable of, of taking it from programming through setup. Gotcha. And then simply documenting what they've done. Yeah. You know, after the fact or like photographs and like very simple documentation right? versus this like this situation where I'm like, this is everything you need to know in order to set up this job, not knowing anything else about it. Yeah. That's kind of terrifying. It's a higher lift for sure. Or bigger lift. Right. And we're actually doing okay at it right now. Like if I wasn't there, you know, I mean, there's little things that get asked every time. I will say, I was going to say that is probably the most powerful piece of that actually is that the other one lets you off the hook in terms of capturing good information yeah it's the easy way conversely it lets you off the hook of having to capture good information yeah but i think there is something very powerful about having to define all of that yeah like over time it feels like that might be pretty it's definitely the better option and it's the more scalable option right it provides more flexibility like there's Everything about it is better aside from the fact that you have to it's do it. It's harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, getting back to like why this isn't done more, I think. Yeah. Another example. Yeah. Like it's a big hill to climb. Mm-hmm. But there's glory at the top. No. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> Efficiency, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, it's something I want to explore. If anybody out there has experience, it sounds like you can build your own templates 
for what the setup sheets look like. I'm not currently using Fusion, right? But there, are, you know, there's more. Every day seems to be more feathers in the Fusion cap, as it were, that are encouraging me to head that direction at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the setup sheets in HSM Works, which I currently use, are pretty worthless. For the oh, interesting. Part. Yeah, I would say Fusion. Like I did SolidWorks um, for a while. I think Fusion is your biggest frustration. If anyone's listening from the Fusion team, <laughs> the constraints. The constraints. Yeah. The, like constraining assemblies. Yeah. It tries to be smart, and it's so much harder than the. Maybe there's a good reason for it. I'm not aware of, but. Uh huh. I feel like SolidWorks. You do one at a time. Yeah. Which is awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that I'm also just like nervous about. Well, one for one thing, we have very bad internet service at our shop. Oh, interesting. So like anything cloud-based can be a bit of a, a I hang don't up. know that it runs into any like internet stuff live. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think it does. I think if you're offline, it just won't save your Stuff okay, so cloud. it's just running natively on your computer. I'd say do a little checking on that. I'm not 100% <laughs> confident. I think so. Yeah, there's that. Maybe the... like generative design is done offline. Okay. I don't know. The fact that you can't choose when an update happens makes me very anxious. Yeah, I had a one day down. Due yeah. To that. yeah. Which is like, even if it's a couple hours, like yeah, a couple hours badly timed cascades into a day very easily. Yeah. Um. So that kind of stuff makes me anxious, but I think that's a hundred percent valid. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, it seems that <clears throat> HSM works is for all intents and purposes, sunsetting. Uh, mm-hmm. there's been no updates since 2018. Oh, wow. And there's been some cool stuff lately. Infusion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. Yeah. Sometimes I think about that with regards to like making a decision now mm-hmm. less about the current state of things, but more about like where I think things are going, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, they're like fusion. The team is growing and they're buying cool technologies. And yeah. it seems like they're really pushing hard <laughs> in that. So yeah, the path looks good. The current state is like, there's a lot of rocks here. <laughs> yeah. That are pretty annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, sort of on that topic, um, I think my employee skills have increased and their overall, <laughs> That's good. it's great. Yeah. Their overall production has increased. Okay. <clears throat> and I think, so we had kind of a good balance of, of tasks and skills in the shop mm-hmm. for a handful of months. And now I think we're kind of approaching this point where they're outstripping my, oh. my ability to kind of like keep things going up you know up to the point where they take it over yeah which has been really stressful for yeah i could see that for the last week interesting uh so i'm trying to figure out how to tackle that i think some maybe cross training is in order um you know i had this theory with this job board that i would have like you know three days programmed buffer Mm -hmm. for every work center and that is jobs that have been yeah programmed but are not on a machine yet yeah that are ready to go that can just be pulled from <clears throat> and it's just been absolutely impossible for me to fill that buffer so you're just in time <laughs> not quite in time That's not the quite issue. in time damn <laughs> yeah. just in delayed okay yeah um and so it's an interesting thing i just been thinking a lot about as businesses increase in pace and scale and skills increase like the I think we had this idea that we're going to hire for a position and it's so tough The yeah, the positions change and as their skill sets, the other thing is, so as their skills change, the amount of time that each tasks cha- task takes changes. And so like sort of the mix that an individual can take, so, take on changes. Right. And then the like, uh, contributing factor is that, as they become quicker, the pace, the overall pace of the business increases. And some of those jobs become bigger because there's now more product going through them and some jobs don't. And so that right. further complicates the mix. Like all of a sudden we're shipping a lot more stuff. Okay. 
shipping's a bigger job. So the person who was formerly doing a little bit of shipping and oh, a bunch of other stuff is now doing a lot of shipping and they can't do the other stuff. Right. And it's this thing where like, okay, how do we prioritize? Like, yeah, the stuff needs to ship, but also the stuff needs to get made. Right. We just, do we just need more people? Do we right. resort our current labor pool? It's been interesting. Do we eliminate 50% of human <laughs> labor out of each task? That would be cool. Uh, not easily done yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, but it's just something I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of weeks is this. It's not, it's not just like you train for mm. a position and then that position is static and they do the thing. It's like, especially at this phase of a business where everything yeah. is increasing in speed and quantity. And I think it's not, I think not only that also, like we've talked about the, the unit of hiring one person yeah. is a huge percentage for both of us mm -hmm. right now in terms of available labor yeah. on the team. Yeah. And so that further complicates it. Cause it's not like we're thresholding, like we're not hitting some threshold where it's like, Oh, we have an extra 40 hours of work a week for yeah. someone to do <laughs> who still needs to be trained. Who's still like, yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. It's, yeah. It's very challenging. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's a good, way of uh i don't know i hadn't thought of the like shifting like shifting skills and pace and yeah and i think maybe it's a lot to it yeah there's a lot to it I, I think at our shop it's uh it it's what's the what's the term like the fact that our our work has a high mix also just kind of like makes it seem worse at times mm -hmm. like this last couple weeks there's been a bunch of like someone's busy for a good portion of a day like palletizing stuff to go to the anodizer okay which like that's not always going to be a thing right but right now it's a thing and that stuff has to go and it has to be packed carefully and that's a big job so i have a question hearing yeah. you talk about that um yeah. would it would it be feasible or help to have a machining operator Basically, I think what's happening, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you're processing stuff and then there's a step in the process, which is packing it to leave the shop. Mm -hmm. I remember, I forget which shop it was. They talk about going from bar to box at yeah. each station. Would mm -hmm. it help to get stuff packed for final shipment as the parts come out, whether that's off of the machine or out of the tumbler? Maybe. Because I'm just imagining like that would sort of break up the batch and so you wouldn't have someone who's tied up for the first half of a day just packing. Mm -hmm. It would sort of be distributed appropriately on the jobs. I don't know. Anyway. In theory, it makes sense. In our, I think there's really serious spatial constraints. Yeah. In that you sort of have to have a bunch of packages in, well, not necessarily. I guess you could, it depends on where you, what you define as packaging. But like if you were trying to like, go into the box right as parts were done you have to have a bunch of boxes staged for all the different jobs that are in process yeah and if you're talking about a large you know like palletized things that's a lot of space yeah um but it is a good thing to think about and maybe yeah something we should consider more like I've seen companies have like a little rolling cart that holds one box up at an angle mm -hmm. so that parts don't like yeah. You know, so they're biased toward one corner. So they don't ding and bang around. Well, if it's flat and you're standing things up on end or something, yeah. then they'll fall. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just wonder if you had, because theoretically only one part is running on each machine at any given time. Mm, Yeah-ish. Okay. Anyway, just a thought, because I think that would solve a few issues. It would decrease space that's taken up by stuff in process right because right now you're still storing it next to the machine it's just not in a box mm -hmm. it's on a tray which mm -hmm. has its conveniences yes like you're optimized for trays we're um, optimized i mean you could put a box on a tray true anyway any amount of that labor that you could push right to the machine like if each one goes in a plastic bag before mm -hmm. it gets boxed you could even just bag them onto the trays yeah and that would take labor out of the boxing Anyway, I don't know. No, it's a, good, to think about. it's a good thing to think about. Yeah, I like it. Um, an interesting, this is a very short little thing. Uh, I designed a, a an assembly fixture for the one-inch cam buckle. Mm -hmm. 
3D printing is awesome. <laughs> uh, it works it very does. well. <laughs> uh, and it was a big step toward automation because it has a static spring injector, which is a whole separate thing. So we can feed them from a vibratory bowl. Yeah. Um, so that all works. We haven't tested the vibratory bowl yet. Um, but what I wanted to say is that I was talking about adding pneumatics to it as the next step. Uh-huh. So all the actuation is pneumatic and someone made the comment that we'll lose like that. It takes feel. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading, I forget which book, by uh, Shiji Oshingo talking about anytime someone talks about feel, mm-hmm. it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right, here is the problem. Because it just means that you've poor, you don't understand all the factors, basically. You haven't quantified them and made yeah. them like settings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was a useful filter yeah. um, to look at things through, like, does this take feel? And if it does take feel, it's probably worth sitting there and staring at it to figure out all the factors. Yeah. And like, how do we set this one, this one, this one, and this one? Right. Do the bubble thing. Of oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's <laughs> the air, air and, and the there's film. film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what that forms f- a soap bubble. <laughs> what are you feeling here? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so that's that was that. Um, Interesting. We had an issue, so I read in, I'm again forgetting which book, uh, something about the difficulties of having the voice of the customer persist through the production process. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, that is, that's a real problem in my shop because yeah. it used to basically, if I, I talked to the customers uh-huh. and if they said, can you do this, this, and this? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Just throw a note at checkout add a note and we'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one dealing with those notes anymore. So I can't, the person doing it can't reference the conversation. So if right. I see a note that's poorly worded, I just talk to the person. Like I know right, what right, they right. want. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, Hey, that thing we talked about. Yeah. Can you do it <laughs> right on? Thanks for yeah. the conversation. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I'd know to look out for a note, like all those things, right? So like we, part of our SOP is to look for notes when mm-hmm. we're printing off the order slips. Yeah. Um, and sort of make sure we understand them. Um, anyway, we shipped, <laughs> you know, like worst case scenario. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but someone ordered a thing. They reached out. They're like, hey, can you do this? I said, Yes. Then they placed an order, added a note. Then they reached out again being like, hey, I placed the order. I just want to make sure like this Uh, is what I want. I was like, do not even worry about that. (laughs) Then we shipped them the wrong thing. (laughs) And then they emailed me again saying like, hey, we talked about this. Curious what happened. Yeah. So it was like kind of embarrassing, but also like I don't think it's unique. No. Um. And it's very interesting just to really think about the voice of the customer. When I read that, I didn't like, I think before I grew the team where I, where it pulled me off of like the fact that it was one person similar to what you were talking about with like the programmer being the person doing the setup, Mm -hmm. it allows you, it, it is very easy. Yeah. Which makes it very convenient, which makes it very nice, but it's also sort of like lets it stay in a very poorly defined state with Mm -hmm. no SOPs. Um, Something I learned uh, yesterday, um, forgetting which book it was, uh, but I think it was uh, Designing the Future. They were talking about how Japanese companies, one of the things that put them at a substantial advantage through the 80s was their ability to, uh, their, their higher abilities at, organizational learning mm-hmm. versus individual learning yeah and that in the u.s we sort of emphasize individual learning but that the, and the difference is converting individual learning to basically updating processes and and systems in a company mm-hmm. that are explicit and then how good is your system at constantly referencing those and yeah. also constantly updating those yeah And that's a big project. And I think like you're talking about with those setups, like this idea of um, the voice of the customer, 
the easy thing would be like, okay, it broke when we separated those two aspects, so let's never separate them again. Right. Rather than, <clears throat> okay, it broke again. What's the next step? Right. What's the next step? How are we making sure this never happens again? Okay, yeah. and a new problem and this new thing. Yeah. And there's a huge upside there that is on the other side of a lot of work and frustration. Yeah, that's a big, that that specific issue is a big part of why <clears throat> I'm shifting to the Paperless Parts platform. Okay. Um, one, for one thing, it's just like a quick way to separate a lot of the quoting and customer communication from being something that is, <clears throat> well, I mean, fundamentally just like in my inbox it's somewhere else. Okay. And then also just trying to systematize a lot of that. And a big goal for me in that process is getting it. They don't really have a, a system yet, f like a filter, but I want it to be where basically an order can't be placed unless all the critical information is there. Ah. And yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. I So they don't have that. There's no like hard threshold where I can be like, unless there's an attachment here. You cannot click the order button. Yeah, I can't filter it to that okay. level because there's a lot of different ways that orders can be placed. Anyway, mm. don't need to get into the nitty gritty, but I was kind of reviewing the like uh, terms and conditions language and mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't know if it's, you know, effective or will be even read, but I did put a thing in that's like, you know, customers responsible for providing all documentation as, and including this, this, and this, and this lack of, you know, providing that will cause delays and extend your lead time and stuff like that. That could make a difference. <clears throat> Do you mean legally or for the experience of the customer? Experience of the customer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not in the legal terms and conditions. It's just gotcha. in the, like customer facing notes. Gotcha. Um, Cause in a, perfect world we get all the information we need when the order is placed and we don't have to talk to them right not that we don't want to talk to them but we don't have to talk to them again until we say your stuff's ready it's on it's in the mail basically and anytime an order is placed without all that information there's delays all through the process as well as distractions and added work added work and yeah. all and more like much higher potential for defects yes because there's a decent chance that you have gotten through a part of the process and then realize rework that it wasn't defined yeah and then might need rework yeah yeah even like not having <clears throat> a complete print with tolerancing yeah. yeah and then they're like and you program it and then they're like oh by the way this hole is like super critical yeah <laughs> and you're like oh it needs to be reamed or whatever whatever <laughs> and yeah. i already programmed it now yeah. i have to exactly so that's it. interesting yeah figuring out a... i'm surprised they don't have a way like i feel like google forms figured this out quite a while ago of like this question is required this field is required mm -hmm. <laughs> before you can click submit but i mean i know there's built they're building a lot of things but that's yeah. an interesting <clears throat> have you given them that feedback yeah it was kind of a big point in the uh when i was doing that going through the sales process of like oh. this is something i want and they were kind of like, well, we can do this, which is part of it. We can do this, which is, you know, sort of that. But we can't at the end of the day, like, basically, I think what we're going to do is we're going to put most of the options. Like a lot of the issues happen around, um, you know, plating and post-processing mm -hmm. stuff and those details, like colors and types of anodizing and whatnot. Um, if we make those like selectable options yeah. in, in the sales part, like that will help a lot. Uh, I see. Yeah, drop down. Yeah, versus having it just be like something that they define on their purchase order. That makes sense. Um, but if someone doesn't, you know, communicate that, and then you know, there's still lots of holes. Sure. Where it cannot be. Well, it sounds like it's moving in the right direction. So that's something. Definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Um, I have two two things here. One. This keeps striking me, and I think it's something that is hard to notice, but once uh -huh. you see it, you cannot unsee it, <laughs> is that capacity for production that exceeds the rate of use is uh, excess capacity, mm -hmm. right? And, w and similarly, like inventory 
that basically that you have to walk by all of these things every time you walk around your store or your your shop every time you walk around a store every time you walk through a kitchen mm-hmm. the whole thing is bloated by having excess capacity and inventory mm-hmm. and it's massive like every trip you take from from the shipping department to the whatever if not planned super carefully you're walking by racks of parts you're walking by a stack of material you're walking by a machine that is large because it needs to be able to Mm -hmm. take a large item that you're not really doing right now or it needs to be it's a really fast machine um it's a really whatever it is right like you're walking by it every time and so i just think about like a kitchen I was talking to um, someone about sort of kitchens and kitchens are super inefficient partially because of our, like the human desire to sit down at a table with everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge batch. And so you could get massive efficiencies, but like no one wants that. (laughs) For all automatons. Yeah. I mean, like if you just served food at a lower quantity over a larger period of time, theoretically, (laughs) right? Um, But I think what's interesting is that Suddenly, we want to have plates enough for uh, a dinner party of 15 people or whatever, right? So now our cabinet for holding those plates takes up a lot more space in our kitchen, which we walk by every time we go from the sink to the stove. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's not a well-designed kitchen, right? Yeah. And all of these things, I think they're pretty invisible. I think they're hard to see. Um and this is like partially where leveling production comes in. If you have a few, let's say you have a, like, if you have your your shops designed for peak capacity on a particular product, yeah, that might mean having more than one of something, like more yeah. more than one CNC mill, for example, uh-huh. right? More than one, uh, whatever it is, um. And that's because you need that capacity at peak. And so, but it's taking up a huge amount of space. And I think that that's hard to remember that you're walking by it every time. Mm -hmm. A big piece of single piece, like one aspect of the efficiencies from single piece flow is literally all of that. Mm -hmm. Is like, if you look at a tour of like a cabinet shop, most production facilities are 40 to 70% of their floor space is taken up by whip work in process right and but that not only means like it's not just an intellectual bummer that it's like cash and and human hours tied up in it it also means that all of your employees and yourself are walking by that every time so Mm -hmm. you're walking 40 to 70 percent more yeah per day yeah all of the things that go from department a to department b have to travel 40 to 70 percent further yeah every time you're packing an order if you're packing like i see a lot of these people who had do e-commerce it's like it's shipping day and they'll lay out all their orders on a massive table and then they're like walking around the table distributing, mm. doing batch work, right? Mm-hmm. Distributing their items to all these things. You're walking by all of those orders that are only partially completed. And so it increases your travel times hugely. Yeah. And like one of the things, yeah, anyway. So it's just really interesting. It's like you have to walk by your work in process and you have to walk by your excess capacity. Mm-hmm. And so if you can shrink a cell by running it eight hours a day instead of running it for an hour every or like you know whatever it is right an hour eight hours a day instead of running a much larger capacity machine only once a week Uh like can you buy a much smaller machine that you don't have to walk by every day that you don't have to pay rent on that floor space anyway that's enough of that but uh i'm kind of curious how that falls into you know gold rat is talking about um how most successful manufacturing plants have excess capacity. Yeah. And I think, is that just for just trying to kind of comprehend Yeah, the balance here? I think that's to handle the, like the catch-ups, right? From whenever there's issues in process, like you need to have some capacity yes. to handle uh, an issue and then catching back up to the rate of flow. Right. But not so much that things are just sitting all the time. Yeah, and I think what I'm saying is, like, theoretical. Yeah. But only partially. Like, Mm -hmm. I think starting to see 
that that's a reality is very helpful in shrinking your plant in making shri- it appropriate capacity maybe and, is a better term. and understanding the sacrifice yeah. right that you're making because i think it's really hidden um yeah i think i mean we've talked about this like how do you you can't you can't grow you can't be a growing company and not have excess capacity in a funny way because mm-hmm. it's like either you're telling customers no yeah or you buy another machine, which gets you way too much capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's a funny, I don't know. Yeah. You have to be able to, you have to have capacity yeah. to take on the additional work. But I will say also that Goldrat talks about the 40 to 70% uh, whip, right? Yeah. He's not a big fan of work in process. Right. Um, so, like, that's an easy one to eliminate. Yeah. I mean, not it's, it's not easy to eliminate, but it's a... I, yeah, yeah, right. A worthy goal. Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. The other thing I've been thinking about is robots and how I'm wondering, this is just a question mostly, uh, as people automate a process, like if you want a robot to do a process, mm-hmm. you need to very clearly define the process. You need to constrain the product that it's going to be picking up, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're using computer vision. But a lot of people are going to rack it so that it comes out of the end of the rack in the right place, in right. the right orientation. You're going to have sensors there so that if something is out of whatever, it's going to turn on a red, it's going to tell the robot like, Hey, stop working. Right. Like all these things are really carefully thought about and really carefully built. And you build a cell for that robot where it can reach everything. When a human is doing a job, we don't do any of those things basically. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if companies are automating processes, including myself, because because there's sort of a need for higher throughput, higher efficiency, like it's just it's like, let's automate this. But there's never been a step of like, first, let's make this a really well-defined system for a person to operate. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I, I don't know, like bike maintenance is sort of a good example. I feel like I've talked to people uh, like an, a few people who are sort of like, yeah, my bike's kind of worn out. It doesn't shift well. Like, it makes squeaking noises. I think I just want to get a new bike. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, if you just, like, replaced the cables <laughs> and did all the things that are on a new bike, yeah, it would be a new bike. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes if people abdicate sort of... Because humans are so good. Yeah. We have eyeballs. We have crazy brains. Like... We're so good that you can be pretty lazy when you assign a person a task. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, do this. It's poorly defined. The stuff is all over the warehouse. Yeah. Depending on the day, go find it. Like, I just think humans are like amazing employees. Like, employees are amazing. Yeah. And robots are kind of trash, <laughs> but we don't give <laughs> humans a, like the best shot at being super productive at being super efficient like people talk about robots don't make mistakes and it's like that's true but you've also spent a huge amount of time mistake proofing stations and i know at toyota they do that right they make fixtures that check yeah certain features like for uh, people yeah like I, i saw someone made a welding jig and they added a note to the welding jig that was like check this feature Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. That's better than having no, no documentation. But if it was a robot, you can't write it a note. Right. You have to add a sensor. Yeah. And and then when a person keeps making a mistake, I wonder if sometimes people aren't like, hey, let's add a sensor and keep it a person. It's sort of like, okay, there's too many mistakes. Let's just get a, a robot to do this. Yeah. And it just feels like a mistake from a flexibility standpoint, but also mm-hmm. a mistake from a prototyping standpoint. Because if you can get a process closer and closer to being really well designed, yeah, automating it is going to be really trivial at the end of the day. Instead of spending a huge amount of money to design a, a whole cell and then realizing it could be slightly different, but you've already invested all this time. So like, it yeah. seems like the right way to move regardless of the end state either you're going to gain a lot of efficiency decrease rejects decrease quality issues Mm -hmm. or you're or you're going to be approaching getting a robot implemented successfully i think there's a medium i think there's a medium ground i think if your intention is to automate yeah like absolutely go the whole nine with a human prior Uh i think that makes total sense if your intention is not to automate 
I think there's probably a middle ground where like going the whole nine is maybe you, you might get to a point where you're not going to get payout for the investment because you're doing sort of redundant work where it's like there's probably a lot of things that are helpful for a human that uh, would also be helpful for a robotic cell. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably also other things that are like just completely unnecessary for a human that would be necessary in a robotic cell. Like what? Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, like a check that is very straightforward, like completely intuitive for a person that requires a sensor and a whole circuit for a robot. I, I don't think so. Only because, I mean, you're you, for sure there's a middle ground that yeah. is appropriate if you're not planning on automating for yeah. sure but i know that like toyota puts a large emphasis on like there's a few stages of of there's a few methods of pokey okay yeah right like, there's mistake proofing where uh it checks a thing mm-hmm. there's where it could turn on like a blinking red light to say hey this is not right yeah or there's mistake proofing where you literally can't activate the machine mm-hmm. until the thing is right um, but in all cases, they put a lot of energy into mistake proofing yeah. such that a person doesn't need to read a label and go like, huh, is this correct? I guess what I'm saying is like the pokey yoke, like effective pokey yoke when there's an operator involved yeah. is probably a lot less involved than effective pro- pokey yoke when there's uh, a robot involved. Like you can probably, because like we have such good, like maybe right. that simple, like maybe you have a single check yeah. that's like, sets off a light or whatever. And a person can, you know, at that point be like very capable of changing up the whole system. Yeah. You know, taking that part out, doing the next thing. Right. Whereas if it was with a robot, it might be like, Oh yeah, we had that simple check. And then there's this whole huge chain of events that has to happen. Yeah. And I think it like delineating at what point those things are helpful with a, or necessary with a robotic cell versus a human is important. Like you don't necessarily have to go through the, I guess the so. whole thing. I think so. Just from an investment, a return right, on right. investment standpoint. Yeah. No, the point stands for sure. But I think like just the, the, the expression just because you can, doesn't mean you should comes yeah. to mind with like, just because humans have like amazing everything mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should leverage it on every cell. So we had to cut, uh, early in the pandemic, we made a bunch of face shields. Mm-hmm. I had to cut something like 5,000 pieces of elastic quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a station where it had like a spool and a hot knife. And I put a mark where I had to cut it. Mm-hmm. When, And then I read something by... I did a Thurblig analysis on yeah. it. And instead of a line, I put a hard stop. Yeah. Yes, a line is totally sufficient for a human, but it decreased the time something like 30% wow. because I didn't have to move my eyes and look. And then also, uh, I forget who did the research, but basically like the precision of a target mm-hmm. has an exponential effect on the uh, transit time, basically. So like if you're trying to put a very precise, like if you're trying to place something very precisely, you yeah. slow down a lot as you approach it. Mm-hmm. And so that precision, like the precision has a basically, a, you know, exponential effect on time. Yeah. Similarly, moving your eyes takes time. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just a thought. Like, I think people might be throwing out the baby with the bathwater. The baby in this point is human labor. Mm-hmm. The bathwater being like a bad process. <laughs> and then it's like, OK, we'll get a fancy machine to do it. Sure. And it's like, anyway. Just, yeah. 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 No, no, I get you. I just think, uh, also, also always important to think about what you're investing. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Both in inter- Yeah. Time. And it's and like, yeah. Well, coming back to like a Toyota production line, like they, you know, they're turning out a car every 56 seconds or whatever yeah. it is. And there's massive, massive downside to any small delays. Right. The investment absolutely makes sense there. Right. Whereas in not that it doesn't theoretically make sense in businesses of our scale, but you just have to be really calculated about where you're putting that investment for sure. And is it a bottleneck? And is it a bottleneck? Yeah, exactly. 
Cool. Well, we have run over once again. As usual. Like, is this the point at which we just change our, <laughs> our goal? <laughs> Could be. Um, anyway, um, I am Uriel Eisen. You can find me on Instagram at austere underscore manufacturing. I'm Devin Bedoni. You can find me at lichen underscore MFG on Instagram. And the podcast at Incremental CI. Uh, thanks for tagging us and posting. Um, lots of fun to see what people are up to. Um, also, any and all feedback on each episode is awesome. I uh, really appreciate people reaching out with their experiences and thoughts. Indeed. I feel like neither of us are really, I don't know, cons- I don't consider myself an expert by any means. And it's really cool to hear people who have. I mean, there's so much experience out there. And so yeah. really appreciate when people f- share that with us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you all. We'll uh, talk to you in a few days.